Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Yes, it is uh, indeed time for parenting. Uh, once again, would you run a fortune uh, uh, while your children bounce around the house uh, asking you repeatedly <laughs> how many more days it is uh, to go? Joanna, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You. Open all the selection boxes. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, not yet. That's not advice, by the way. That's just a phrase. Uh, <laughs> My son, who was now nine, had a traumatic experience when he was four going on five in the summer before he started school. He was in a local childcare service where they moved between outside play to inside. While they were inside, my son went to the toilet and sometimes would take a long time cleaning himself. While he was in there, the childcare worker and all the other kids left the building and locked the door. I called to collect him an hour or two later and when I asked for him, they said he'd gone home. When my wife said she hadn't collected him either, my heart sank and I was in total disbelief. Then one of the staff ran over and said, oh my God, I think he is locked in the prefab. I ran in and picked him up and hugged him tight and he was relatively calm but upset and worried that he'd broken his glasses. He said he called out but they didn't hear him and when he was banging on the door and window, he knocked his glasses off and broke them. I brought him home trying to reassure him all the way that you know me and, and you, man, mammy, would never forget you and always come for you no matter what. He seemed a bit shaken but said he understood that it was a mistake. It's been mentioned once or twice since, but not really discussed. We had hoped that he was so young that he'd forgotten about it, but when it was brought up last week, he went into very vivid detail about how he nearly broke the toilet door down, he was banging so much, and how he eventually, after a while, gave up and hunkered down and put his head on his knees, crying. Obviously, now he's older and he can articulate how he felt and what happened much better, and it really knocked us back and made us think about how this may affect him psychologically in the future. He always has insisted on getting a hug before we leave the house, even if it's just for a few minutes, which we never mind doing. I would like your advice on what steps we should take to mitigate any anxiety that may arise out of this incident, possibly as he gets older and becomes a teenager. Oh, the poor little fellow. That's a horrific experience. Horrific experience. And not just for him, although primarily for him, but I'm thinking of the parent as well who's told your child has gone home and the other parent says, no, he isn't. And that's, you know, Ah, the stuff of every parent's nightmare. Mm. So this this happened to the parents as well. And no doubt the staff involved got an awful shock and fright at the time too. Mm. So, you know, I think it, it was a big event for everybody. And I think we can sometimes to tell ourselves, like, oh, he's only four you know, he won't remember. It's fine. But actually children do remember and sometimes it's stored in that kind of embodied memory that they might not have that conscious story when they're four or five to tell you everything, but it's in there. So now that he's older and as this parent is saying, look, he can articulate how he's feeling and give much more detail. I think it's really helpful, you know, that he has the skill now Mm. to interweave that experience with a more emotionally fluent narrative. So, you know, let him know that he can always talk to you about this or anything else and that you're always available to listen. And that's what you're doing. You're receiving what he's saying. You're not fact checking. You're not going, oh, but are you sure? And maybe it wasn't as bad. You're just receiving it and lots of empathy with that and Mm. reflecting back what he's saying and how he's saying it to him. So, gosh, that was really scary for you. You were really scared at the time. You know, you're you're not saying you're really scared now in recalling it, but you were at the time and now you're able to talk about it. Um, I, I would, you know, look at in general when this has happened and I'm hearing, you know, he wants a lot of that physical reassurance of the hugs and you're right, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it's always worth taking a minute or two to do that lingering long, deep pressure holding hug 
then sort of say, come on, we've no time, get mm. out. And the child is having a wobble. So I think that's great. Keep doing it. But ensure you are giving him plenty of opportunities to practice independence, to practice, you know, small separations from you now that he's nine. And that could be just, you know, you go do this, I'll go do that. And we're apart in different rooms. Yeah. Go to the shop. Again, look at you, you tailor this to suit your child and their development and safety and knowing where your local shop is. That's all relative to where you live. But, you know, little opportunities to practice independence, always focusing on praising his effort over outcome, just to build up that self-esteem, that confidence, that self-efficacy, that he can do things for himself and be okay by himself without naming it as such. You're doing it. And I think, you know, because he is speaking about it and is able to give you the level of detail he is, you could, you know, simply ask him the next time he brings it up or say, you know, I was thinking about how you recalled this recently and told us. And if you'd ever like to talk to somebody, you know, who specialises in helping kids work through difficult feelings or difficult experiences, we could find you somebody to go and talk to. And he might say, no, it's grand. I'll talk to you. Fine, but you've planted that seed that it is a possibility. Mm. And he equally might go, actually, yes, I would like to talk to somebody about it. And when we say somebody, we're talking about a child psychologist, child psychotherapist, a play-based therapist, somebody who is skilled at supporting children to interweave those experiences with narrative, with play, with symbolic representation, that he'll be able to process it now at nine years old and not be carrying it yes, as a teenager. Yeah. Because it almost feels like he's starting to realise, God, that was a big deal, yeah, which he didn't quite appreciate at the time. Or he did appreciate it, but not in a way that he could consciously yeah. or cognitively express, you know, that that uh-oh feeling, let's yeah. call it, that he felt, you know, banging on a window and door and oh, being able God. to say, I gave up. Mm. It doesn't mean I thought you'd never find me. It's that I gave up being trying to be heard and I waited for some to come and find me. That's different. And the parents saying, you know, mom and I would never forget you. That's really important. And it happened in the moment and the big hug and the repair. But it doesn't mean that that little bit of that. I'm all alone. I have to sit here and wait. I was forgotten feeling wasn't stored somewhere. And it clearly was because he's now speaking about it. Yeah. But of course, at the time, he didn't know when it would end. Totally. Totally. And didn't have the language or emotional fluency to say, that was very distressing for me and I'm <laughs> yes. really, I was really scared. It just, yeah. it was so in the moment. Yeah, the poor little fella. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it's just a matter of just talking about it a lot really rather than necessarily. And not always leading it and I think that's important like that you create a space that he knows he can bring it or indeed anything to you at any time but that you don't always go fishing going, would you like to talk about that thing now? Yeah, or would you like yeah. to talk about that thing? But you simply say anytime you want to, we're available to you to listen. Mm. And it's, I mean, apart from, you know, he he wants, that's not a bad thing. Your child wants to hug you every time. Oh, no, it's you, wonderful. Pass, that's a wonderful thing. And as long as, the, as you can continue the hugs, keep them going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but it, it, from what they say, at least, it doesn't seem there's, there's any other significance. No, there's uh, nothing else in here. It's he it, In the absence of anything here, we mm. would have to infer he's doing generally fine. Yeah. Or mostly fine most of the time. And the fact that he can articulate it, that doesn't mean... He's traumatised now. It means mm. that he's recalling it and able to put more words and more detail on it and make more meaning of it. That's what you're really helping him to do is to make meaning of that experience. Yeah. Craigie.
It's a hell of an experience nonetheless. Absolutely. My husband and I are Catholics and have been all our lives. However, my 10-year-old son has decided he's an atheist. I don't know where he picked up this idea. He made his communion and was happy to go along with it. I'm disappointed that he feels this way and have done my best to talk him round. I love bringing him and my other kids to church, but he's not too keen to go now. Should I make him come with us? I think he's too young to make this kind of big decision. I mean, there's a whole lot here about some of this is going to come down to your family's belief system and your personal belief system and just a parenting. He's 10 years old. Now, he's slap bang middle childhood coming into pre-adolescence phase Mm. of development, which is a time of exploring who we are outside of our families, primarily outside of our parents, you know, experimenting with new thoughts, new beliefs, new interests that are mine and not yours. I am different to you. I am apart from you. And that process of developmental estrangement is going to not only continue, but amplify in early to mid adolescence. And while it can be challenging as a parent, it is developmentally appropriate for them to do it. So it's, you know, saying, well, this is a big part of our family life. I've decided I believe something entirely different it fits for me developmentally. And I'm not yeah. minimising because he may well have put a lot of thought into this and have come that this is his belief system. But when you say, you know, I think he's too young to make this kind of big decision, I'm wondering, you know, as parents, have you shared that with him? Have you said to him, you know, I hear what you're thinking and believing, but at 10 years old, we believe you're too young to make such a big decision and it will be okay for us that you make this decision at whatever age Mm. you think is appropriate. Because if you think he's too young, is my question is, is there an age where he's not too young to make this? Or are you saying, actually, this will always be a difficult one for us because of our family belief system? Because this is what it comes down to. It really is about your belief system, you know, and I mean belief system in terms of faith, but also parenting. Yes. You know, not just the religious Mm. belief system. Um, You can say something to him like, you know, he is allowed to question belief. He is allowed to explore other beliefs. That's probably part of school education and curriculum as well. Um, But because you go to church as a family, it is not possible for him to stay at home because he's 10 years old. So he has to come because everyone else is going. He can't stay home alone and he has to come. He has to sit. He has to be respectful of where you are, but it is okay if he's coming, not believing or coming, questioning. Right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it may be that you're putting a, 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 a sort of safety boundary on this that, well, you're 10, I can't leave you at home alone and everyone else is going, so you have to come with us. Mm. But, it, but we know that you're questioning and we're okay that you're questioning, if that's true. Yeah. If you're not okay that he's questioning, then you have to sit with him and talk that through with him and hear him out on it and share with him your belief system and where you're coming from. Yeah, it's it sounds like it's a really hard one for this parent though because it it's probably really central to their 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 family life. And, Absolutely. And, and you know, it can be really hard be it religion or something else when your child decides I have decided to take an opposing view to you on something fundamental yes. to our family structure. Um, you know, it could be this, it could be something else. But the important thing is that you don't make it a battleground or a power struggle. Mm. You know, you can't make him believe You can share your belief system and outside of religious belief, you can say that no matter what he believes or doesn't believe himself, there there is a moral code to which your family operates and that everybody must live by that. And that is respect and kindness and whatever else you want to put in there. And that, you know, if he doesn't believe in the religion of your family or in any religion, then that is quite apart from behaving in a respectful, kind way, which is non-negotiable. Yeah. 
Yeah, indeed. Um, Though I suppose, yeah, you're right. If it's not one thing, it's going to be... No, but I suppose in this generation of kids growing up, is it more difficult for them to find things to rebel against? Necessarily. I mean, I think it can be. I think also parents are more, you know, flexible with rebellion when it comes along going, oh, interesting. You don't want to eat meat. Great, let's do that. Oh, you don't want to do this. Well, okay. You know, as opposed to what are you talking about? Just do as you're told. You know, there has been a shift in parental responses as well. But, you know, children will always find something to rebel against because that's part of the developmental task in securing autonomy and, you know, entering into this phase of independence is that I will find something. No matter how flexible or adaptable your your job will go, okay, but I'm still going to find the one thing that's your red line issue and I'm going to go for that one. Yeah, so so is there anything in saying, you know, not going aggressive about it if the child decides to find something to go against? That you, but at least you let the child know, well, I'm rattled that you've done this because I, that's totally what they're looking for. I, but it's OK to say, gosh, you know, that's really taken me aback. I didn't mm. anticipate that you'd come at me. Let me think about it. And, you know, I want to hear where you're coming from. And because I don't be casual about it. You know, you've taken a decision to not believe in anything. So talk me through what that means to you. Where did it come from? How did you arrive at this conclusion and receive what he's saying? And then you can share with him, well, here's where we're coming from. This is what we think and believe and why. And you've been part of that belief with us for 10 years. And that's been wonderful for us. We respect that you're questioning. But then you come in with your parental rules, which I'm not going to direct, you know, the parents here to do one way or the other. But if you're saying, you know, I don't want to debate or get into a power struggle about religion with you. But you know what? I'm also not okay in my parenting beliefs to leave you at home alone for a couple of hours at 10 years old. Then actually, it isn't negotiable, is it? He has to come with you Mm. (laughs) for a safety reason. Well, they might be thinking about doing it in shifts, maybe that one parent stays at home. Maybe different ceremonies, maybe. But again, that's a big family decision. If the family practices to all go together, that's quite a bit of power to give your 10 year old as well to decide you now go separately. Going back to that story about uh, uh, the, the, the little fella who was uh, locked in a prefab. Uh, my son got locked into the toilet in my in-law's house when he was six and he spoke about it regularly for two years. He was terribly upset. We didn't realise, uh, which we didn't as there was so much noise in the house. We didn't hear him banging on the door. He was so upset with us for not hearing. And I had to apologise a number of times for our mistake. He's nine now and I think we're forgiven. Uh, another texter says, I was less than 24 months old. When I was left with a next door neighbour, when I realised my parents weren't around. That was in 1968 and I never forgot it. I did have separation anxiety as a child growing up, so it can stick with a child from a very young age. Uh, Sheena says, I experienced something very similar uh, when I was seven and I was on a school tour and was accidentally left behind for half an hour. I was upset, but I thought I got over it fairly quickly. But my mother tells me I wet the bed for months afterwards. There you go. These incidents can have a deep... In- oh, God, being left behind on the bus when Absolutely, you're Absolutely, but it's so oh. interesting because that's such an embodied response, isn't it? You know, I think I'm fine, but my body's telling me not no. fine. Yeah. Not fine, yeah. Crikey. Right, uh, we do have to take a break. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, coming up after the break, my ex-wife is emotionally distant from our kids. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. My wife and I are divorced around three years ago, and our girls, aged 12 and 10, 
have been struggling to understand why she is emotionally distant from them. I'm the primary carer, but they asked me, why does Mammy not love us anymore? Why does she not want to spend time with us, etc., which breaks my heart. She's a difficult woman to engage with and shuts me down, so I can't get her to address it directly with them. Should I stay positive about her to my kids or be direct so as to prepare them in case she lets them down again in the future? Oh, oh I mean, this is a really complicated one. I'm really mm. aware, you know, we don't know much about mum's circumstances yeah. or any challenges she might be dealing with because, you know, when somebody is difficult, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can also be a sign of having a difficulty. Yes, yeah, um, that's kind of what I thought too. Yeah, yeah, just to kind of put that there. And I think because of that, um, rather than explaining, excusing, minimising or any other thing with the actions of another adult, I'm going to suggest that you instead attune to and respond to how the girls feel about their mum. You know, how they feel about her not being present or not being engaged with them. So when they're saying, you know, um, does she not love us anymore? Why doesn't she want to spend time with us? Those are not answers you have to give. You know, Mm, you don't know, really. I mean, you might make an inference, you might imagine, you might answer for her, but instead say, look, I hear your question. And that's a really hard question to be sitting with, isn't it? You know, and I love you and granny and aunties and uncles and, you know, you have all these people with you, but stick with, you know, how to validate their feelings. I can see how hurt, disappointed, sad, angry, whatever else you are. And I can't explain for mum, but I can help you with how you're feeling. Let's sit together and think about how we can help each other with these feelings. Mm. So you're sticking with your feeling is valid. I understand why you're feeling this way. I'm not going to make up answers because I cannot answer for somebody else. But I am here with you and I will find a way to get you through this. And that might be at some point because I'm doing the sums here, you know, Sean, the girls were really young. Um, whenever this situation yeah, arose, yeah. This, separ- th- this divorce, you know, around three years ago, they were only seven and nine. So, you know, at some point in the future, if they ever do want to mend or explore their relationship with their mum or vice versa, mediation is something that you could go down the route. And again, this would be in the future. But I also there's nothing in here in the last three years. Have the girls ever spoken with anybody professionally mm. about what was clearly a massive event in the family unit, you know, so don't rule out therapy or therapeutic intervention um, for for the girls at, at some point and even saying to them, look, you've got really important big questions that I can't possibly answer for you, but let's, you know, you I can certainly talk and listen to you, but would you like to go and talk to somebody about this, think out loud about it in a space Mm. that's just yours and you can say anything you want about it and somebody can help you through it. And if they're like, no, that's okay because they know that they can come back to you and change their mind. But don't feel like you have to explain their mum's decisions because that's really not for this parent to do. Yeah, and this parent probably can't explain no. those decisions. And also is is directly involved. And, you know, that's yeah. a very painful situation mm. for everybody involved. So instead, though, there's something very important and significant about if you as their parent can sit with them in those difficult feelings, can bear witness to those difficult feelings without the need to rescue the girls from it. Mm. Saying, oh, well, let me just give you a little story and magic those bad feelings away. Instead saying, look, you've got really big feelings and I understand why you have them. Let's sit with them together and we'll find our way out of them. My eldest daughter, age 16, is incredibly bright at school. However, her younger brother has just started secondary school and is constantly encountering comparisons with the intelligence of his older sister. I feel sorry for him. 
because he's not as gifted academically as she is and I think it's made him more downcast that he will never reach those levels of achievement. What should we do to deal with this situation? I mean, he might not reach her levels of achievement in the academic arena, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have skills and talents and things that he shines at. You know, Mm. we're more than just school. And I wondered, you know, is it, you know, because it's not immediately clear in this letter, is it the teacher's who are comparing them. Oh, you're not like your sister. I had your sister two years ago and she was great. Why aren't you like your sister? Is it that kind of thing? Because if you know that it is the teachers, I would suggest that you speak with whoever his year head is um, or a principal, but ideally the year head before you go to a principal and name it, reflect the impact it's having on him and his capacity to enjoy or fully engage with the school experience and ask that the year head address it with all the teachers that, you know, just don't make that comparison. Yeah. You might also need to do the same yourself, though, if it is family and friends who are making that comparison. And then I wondered, you know, was it he himself making the comparison? I'm not like her. Therefore, I'm not good enough because I, I you know, regardless of who's doing it, I guess, is the bottom line. Speak with the, your kids, the two of them, about how everyone in the family is a unique individual, that you are connected, not cloned. That he's not supposed to be like her because no one's like her. She's her own person. She's not like him. He's his own person. And, you know, really make that that you are connected as a family, but you are not clones of each other and you have no expectation that they do the same or achieve the same or Mm. have the same skills or talents. And state, you know, that you're a family that celebrates each person's unique skills, talents and differences and find a name what lights him up. I'm not going to say like what he's brilliant at because you don't have to be brilliant at something for it to be a passion. You don't have to be, you know, excel at something to enjoy it and for it to be your thing. Mm. So find the thing that excites him or lights him up and really spotlight that as, well, that's what you do. That's what you're great at. And always focus on effort over outcome when it comes to the academic stuff. That all you want to see from him is he tries his best and that truly good enough is good enough for you. If he started secondary school, then, I mean, he's in a new system mm-hmm. where he's, they're going from class to class yeah. and it could be every single class he sat down and they went, oh, are you so-and-so's younger brother? Oh, great expectations from you 100%, then. Yeah. So the damage is done. But I think if, if, you know, that was to be addressed by teachers now mm. and not follow him right yeah. the way through school, I think that would be really important. Yeah. My twin sons are three months old now and completely identical. I'm secretly stressing that I will get them mixed up. It has nearly happened already where I momentarily got confused which outfit I'd put on which boy. I had to paint their fingernails to figure it out. I've actually heard of that before. Mm -hmm. My husband gave out to me for doing that. So I'm trying to find a different solution. Do you have any suggestions? I mean, you know, just want to validate this first. It is much harder to tell them apart as babies than it will be later on. Later on. Yeah. Just, you yeah. know, this isn't going to be something all along for you. But also I think sometimes when you have identical twins, the fear of mixing them up can actually make it more difficult. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm afraid I won't tell them apart. Now I can't tell them apart. <laughs> um, you know, so I think, you know, and the fingernail thing is interesting because you're right, Sean, I've heard it as well. But the recommendation, if you're doing that, and this often comes up when, you know, you, you ask anybody about, well, how am I going to tell them apart, is paint a toenail. Because especially at this age, they might suck their fingers. Yes. And that's why the, yeah. fi- the the finger polish is an issue. But you are not, you didn't imagine it. This parent who did that, you didn't imagine that you've heard it somewhere because people will often say, oh, paint a toenail. You could also, you know, essentially what you're talking about, whether you paint fingernails or toenails and try to go with the old non-toxic stuff, um, is essentially you're colour coding them. And you could also decide twin A is going to wear red or blue. 
and twin B is going to wear purple or green or mm. whatever. OK, so that will help you unless you're bathing them. Don't do it together because you don't have them colour coded <laughs> at that stage. Um, you know, so, but again, I just want to reassure this parent that your twins, yes, they're identical and they look alike, but they're different people mm. and they're always going to be different people. So watch for, and it will emerge very quickly, personality cues and traits that cue you. I know them. Trust yeah. your instinct. You know your babies. Um, now, it's certainly, you know, the first year you could dress them up, like I've just said. But in the meantime, and start straight away, and you're already doing it, I guarantee you, observe them as individuals, like observe them with each other. How do they interact or respond to each other? They're three months old now. How are they around others? How do they respond to noise, sound, music? Those are the cues that you're going to, oh, that, that's this one because yeah. they don't like noise and this one always does. That. You're going to find these things very, very quickly. Um, so I think it can be just reassuring and help reduce anxiety to this one's going to wear this colour or have the little blue toenail or whatever it is and you'll be able to tell them apart. But Trust trust your knowledge of them. You will yeah. tell them apart. At the moment, though, does it matter that much if, if she gets them occasionally mixed up? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, not until you, they're like if, if they're you were seven born and she's doing one name, and suddenly by the age of four, you've got a different name. But I'm how so do you sorry. Know? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, I, I'm wondering how to help my child deal with her chronic shyness. She's an only child, age seven, has no cousins, so I'm worried that she hasn't had the chance to really bond with kids her own age. She's reluctant to join any extracurricular activities. How many would there be when you're seven? And clings mm-hmm. to me regularly. Her teachers tell me she says very little, if anything, at school. So I don't know how to constructively support her to overcome this shyness. Yeah, it's an interesting one because we've talked about shyness before and it's something like we don't psychopathologize shyness. Yeah. It is not a problem unless it be- it will become a concern if it is pervasive rather than temporary. You know, you have children who are slow to warm up, you know, yeah. who might want to, you know, be clingy to a safe, trusted adult in an unfamiliar situation or they might stay quiet or play alone until they become more comfortable and are able to engage with others. But if you're saying, no, this child is now seven, has been with the same group of school peers for a number of years and is still not interacting, then it might be more of a question. But the teacher says she says very little, if anything, in school. But I'm wondering, what does she do? Is she playing? Does she have friends? And again, she doesn't need to have 10 friends. Does she have two friends? Does she have somebody that she can Mm. sit with, eat with, play with? Is she interacting and engaging, even if she's not putting her hand up in the big group and volunteering to speak aloud? Because some people are never comfortable doing that. You know, some people do better in small, intimate groups with two or three others than they'll ever do in a class of 30, maybe 32 others. So, you know, it really is about... You know, I think if a child persists in playing alone or not engaging with familiar peers, you know, or if the shyness is limiting the capacity to develop friendship of any kind or is inhibiting development of social skills, then, yeah, I would want to look at it. But again, I I would look at it rather than go, my gosh, there's something terribly wrong here. And you're right. You'd look for a hobby, an extracurricular activity of interest to her, something that yes. she likes to do yeah. because that will put her in touch with kids who have a shared similar interest with her. So something in common from the outset. You might, because she's also a single child, organise play dates, but please make those single play dates initially. Don't flood her with loads of kids yeah. in your house. Um, you could share some stories. You know, if maybe you were a shy child yourself, maybe you weren't and you can just develop a little story or somebody was and say, when I was young, I remember a time when and 
talk about shyness, talk about feeling, you know, I needed to wait until it felt safe. But once it felt safe, then I did this and I did this and I had such great fun and helping her to know there is a way out of this and to engage and give her opportunities to try new things. Now, that could be anything, you know, John, that could be going to a new place, listening to new music, um, driving a new way or walking a Mm. new route to school. New things can be a whole wide range of stuff and maybe develop something I'm going to call a be brave jar. Okay, so you have a jar and on little coloured post-its or little note just write down new things. Today, I will introduce myself to somebody new. Today, I will say hello to a stranger while we walk to school. A good morning. Today, I will go up to the counter and pay for my own juice or what, you know, if you're in a cafe. But new things to try that would push her a little not a lot, but a little out of her comfort zone. Yeah. And we, you call it the be brave jar. Now, she doesn't have to do it. It's there as it is today a day that you think you could try something from the be brave jar. And it's an invitation. Never force it because that's yeah. counterproductive. But I think if none of that works and you're saying, no, this is pervasive, it's definitely limiting her. She doesn't have friends and she's not comfortable in her class group at this stage. Then, yeah, you could consider something like play based therapy that would just give her a space to work through some of what's going on. Mm. Uh, a few comments on uh, some of the other questions that we had on the uh, question of the little fella who's declared he's an atheist. Uh, someone says, it sounds like that kid's pretty sharp. He hung in there for communion money and then called it a day. Uh, someone says, that laddie is fed up with going to mass. When I was eight, I told my parents I was a pagan, simply because I thought it, it meant you didn't have to go to mass anymore. Uh, Lynn says on Twitter, uh, I'm almost surprised with parents who say too young for a decision they don't agree with. This child is facing confirmation. The parent will have no problem with him affirming the Roman Catholic faith at the same age as they are too young uh, to reject it. It's an interesting point, I mm-hmm. suppose, a wider discussion there. Uh, on, on the subject of, of uh, the, the little fella who was, who was locked inside the prefab, this sexer says there's one certainty that child will never forget that incident if his parents are bringing him to a therapist to keep rehashing the whole thing. Just let the child get on with his life or do parents have to keep interfering? No, I don't think the parents are interfering. I think they're responding to something he brought up. And, you know, therapy isn't about rehashing mm. experiences. You know, that's that's, you know, not a definition of therapy at all. And it's not a good representation of it. It's a space to work something through so that we don't unhappen our life events. They're a part of us. But what you want is that if something difficult happens in your life, that it becomes a part of who you are. But it doesn't define you. It doesn't limit you. You know, so we're not in the business of unhappening things yeah. in therapy. That's It's not magic. You know, it's therapy. Um, but what we do want is that it informs how we live rather than impedes how we live. And it really was about talking to that boy and asking him, is that something he would like to do? Mm. Because he may well feel because his parents clearly are responding and listening and they had a shared experience with him around that event that he might be totally fine talking to them. And like we said, there isn't a whole lot in there. There's no mention of separation anxiety or anything like that. He might be doing mostly fine. Yeah, uh, uh, so uh, exactly. That's why I suppose only when it becomes that memory becomes problematic for him. Exactly, exactly. Thinking about those things. Uh, On the uh, subject of uh, not being able to tell the uh, twins apart, uh, Sally Ann says the person concerned about getting their twins bundled up I have four teenage kids and a dog <laughs> and I constantly call them all the wrong name <laughs> sometimes I might have to go through all five to get to the right one. Oh, Sally Ann that is so familiar yeah. uh, uh, absolutely <laughs> many families up and down the country uh, have exactly that experience 
And uh, someone texts that in to say, and then the colour coding continues into childhood. As a triplet, it was annoying. <laughs> uh, and that's from the blue one. Uh, I, <laughs> Joanna, thanks a million for coming Thank in you. to us today. And happy Christmas, happy Christmas to you and yours. Uh, I will talk to you in the new year. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, sting with the theme, uh, what the kids be reading for Christmas. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.